Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today's February 9th, 2023, and I'm joined today by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. Dr. Matthews, what are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about the State of the Union Address, where President Biden uh, basically attacked Republicans for wanting to cut Social Security and Medicare. So our issue is Social Security and Medicare. And do Republicans want to cut that, or is Biden also being a hypocrite? So when President Biden made this comment during the State of the Union, he got a very negative response from Republicans at the State of the Union. Uh, there was some back and forth. And, and this was like the most explosive yeah, bit yeah. of the State a, of the Union and, address. And I would argue a really fun part. I mean, yeah. typically these are very, very sort of uh, staid addresses that there, you get some applause and a little bit of uh, back and forth and so forth. But now it actually became sort of entertaining as yeah. he's going back and forth with them. And, and I have to say, I understand Republicans' outrage because the way President Biden set it up was – Republicans want to let Social Security and Medicare expire. Right. Which which, you know, is is a gross distortion of an unwise paper that was put out during the campaign by Senator Rick Scott, just sort of exploring the idea that programs should have to come up for regular reauthorization and things like that. So the Republicans kind of went nuts when he said it that way, because he really was grossly distorting, I think, the Republican agenda. So what happened was uh, Senator Mike Lee of Utah decided he came out the next day and he said what the president said was absolutely incorrect. Well, that's not something we wanted to do. And he pushed back the, that and he re, in his press release, he said no Republican put that in all caps. No Republican has made a suggestion that uh, that they cut Social Security and Medicare. That led the White House to release a statement with some quotes from Republicans in the not too distant past of the last four or five months. So I'm just going to quote a few of these here in the Washington Post, January 24th. uh, The title is House GOP eyes Social Security and Medicare amid spending battle. And here's the quote from the article. In recent days, a group of GOP lawmakers has called for the creation of a of special panels that might recommend changes to Social Security and Medicare which face genuine solvency issues that could result in benefit cuts within the next decade. Now, that's the solvency of the of the program, not mm-hmm. Republicans. Others in the party have resurfaced uh, more detailed plans to cut costs, including raising the Social Security retirement age to 70. Here's one from Reuters from January 6th of this year. And the t- the, what it says is at some point, in 2023, Congress will need to address the debt limit, and several leading GOP House members are threatening to block an increase to force cuts to Medicare and Social Security. It goes on to say, Representative Jody Arrington of Texas, a Texas Republican, has indicated that raising the retirement age for Social Security and the eligibility age for Medicare would be common sense changes. Representative Buddy Carter, a Republican of Georgia, has expressed his intent to cut spending in conjunction with raising the debt ceiling. Representative Lloyd uh, Schmucker of Pennsylvania, a Pennsylvania Republican, has stated his wish to establish means testing, setting some eligibility levels 
for Social Security and Medicare. Now, there's more, but you sort of get the idea. Republicans were talking about, well, maybe we need to raise the retirement age. It's it's 66 right now, 66 in a few months. Um, But maybe we need to raise the uh, the retirement age. Maybe we need to do some other things, uh, perhaps uh, means test uh, Social Security benefits or something of that nature in order to try to save the program. So there are it's it's a little more complicated than no Republican has proposed cuts. Yeah, I mean, th- what we're what we're seeing right now is sort of the tit for tat between Republicans and the White House. Yes, we did. Yes, we yes, you did say that. No, we didn't say yeah, that. Right. Um, but, you know, if you go back a few years, there's been lots of discussion over the past 20 years by both Republicans and Democrats about the need to make changes to our entitlement system. In fact, yesterday on Fox, they were running a clip of Joe Biden yes. in, in the, when he was in the Senate saying he wanted to cut Social Security and Medicare. Right. So, so you know, it's a little bit disingenuous now to suddenly act like, you know, no one has ever talked about this before except for these extreme House Republicans. Right. There there are those quotes that are available out there right now. And, uh, and as you mentioned, Joe Biden has mentioned over his many years in the Senate of, ti- of times that it would be good to look at sunsetting Social Security mm-hmm. and Medicare and also to look at the benefits that are there and perhaps uh, provide some kind of cuts in it. There was the uh, the Social Security reform panel back in 1982 and 83 that was led by Alan Greenspan, where Congress passed legislation that raised the retirement age from 65, the full retirement age to 67. We're still in the process in the very, in the very, very soon it's going to be 67. Um, so we've, Congress has already done that once. I haven't looked. Joe Biden was in the Senate time, but I bet he voted, voted I, for I, that. I, I, I bet he did, too. And it, 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 this is only common sense, right? These are enormous programs. They are based on actuarial data that changes, mm-hmm. right? The, the people, patterns change over the years. And so it, it shouldn't be controversial that every once in a while you have to look at these programs and make adjustments. And it certainly should not be controversial when you look at these programs and see <laughs> that they're, they're about to run slap out of money. So, you know, I think what you and I were most concerned about during that moment of the State of the Union is after all the yelling and protesting was over, President Biden said, okay, so we're on the same page. Yeah, we're, we're, we're agree. Yeah, we're, we're not going to cut now that uh, these programs are, are, he said off the budget. What he meant was off the table. We're right. not going to talk about changes to these programs. And then both sides stood up and applauded. Okay. Right. And I think this was the point where many of us in the policy community, this is the point where our hearts sunk. Mm-hmm. Because we absolutely do need to make changes to those programs. They're not working. They're going broke. And you, a couple years ago, were the co-author of a book with a uh, with an actuary friend of yours named Mark Lito mm-hmm. called "On the Edge: America Faces the Entitlements Cliff." Yes. So when you're when you're about to go off a cliff, it seems to me that that should be on the table. Not off the table. Otherwise, we're just like lemmings just plunging off the cliff. So let's take just a minute to discuss why this is an issue. So Social Security is a pay-as-you-go system. It's passed back in 1935, uh, part of the New Deal stuff. Uh, And it's been going since, I think it started around 1938 or 39, the the benefits actually started. Uh, But it is a pay-as-you-go system. So current workers pay in. And that money is transferred over to current retirees. And part of the problems in the just the change in demographics, as you mentioned, 
I think early on it was uh, 32 workers per retiree. Then it went down to about 16 workers per retiree. Now we're, I think we're around three or two and a half workers per retiree. Because families are having fewer children. Families having fewer children. Uh, we are not even at a population replacement right now in the United States. Right. When you stack on top of the fact that families are having fewer children, the fact that people are living longer, mm-hmm. that creates this demographic imbalance that was not anticipated when the program was put together. No, it wasn't. And, and was, it was the opposite when the program was first put together. When the program, when Social Security was first put together, it caused all sorts of federal surpluses because more people were paying in than were taking out. Um, so there's a, there's a demographic problem. One of the fundamental problems in the program, though, is you said it's a pay-as-you-go system, which is true, but it's also just simply a transfer program. Right. Those those taxes that workers are paying in that they plan to someday get back in the form of Social Security benefits, those are not invested anywhere. Right. There There is no investment going on in any kind of a normal pension fund or IRA or retirement fund. You're actually investing the money so that it can grow with the markets over time. But that is is not the way the Social Security system is designed. So there there are no assets uh, gaining in value over that time. Well, it's it's again, it's complicated because the money goes into the trust fund. And as it turns out, the federal government, and there's about $2.8 trillion that the Social Security trustees say is in the trust fund. But then the federal government goes and borrows that money and pays interest. So it's mm. supposed to get interest. But the interest that it's paying is simply made up from Congress that they have to get from yeah, taxpayers. Right. So, and, and it's, a, it, it's when, when you get to invent your own interest rate, you're going to come up with a low interest rate. You're not, you're not going to come up with a market-based interest rate. So it, it, at any rate, the, uh, the federal government has, has uh, borrowed all the money, and that has raised the question, is there really a trust fund? Because if the federal government says, all right, we're putting the money in the trust fund, the money ha- we're borrowing the money out of the trust fund, but the only way we can repay the trust fund, because there's no assets anywhere in the federal government, it's, it's borrowing money for everything else as well. So the federal government has to go and get money from taxpayers or borrow the money to replace the money in the trust fund in order to be able to pay people. In, in, you know, in bookkeeping terms, and I'm not a bookkeeper, but I, I, have, I have a rudimentary understanding, right? And so what happens if, if, you have a, if you have a Social Security trust fund, but then all the money is borrowed from it, what you essentially have is you have an accounts receivable entry is what you have. There's no actual assets in there, right? right? You're, just, you're owed a bunch of money that you expect to get someday. You, you, you're keeping track of it from an accounting standpoint, but there are no actual assets there, just promises. So just so our listeners understand this, when when this issue comes up about the trust fund and does it actually have any assets, the defenders of it will always come up and say, essentially, the federal government has never defaulted on its debt. So if it has $2.8 trillion in there, that it's not going to default on that. But that's a different question. Yes, it is. That's a question as to whether or not the government is going to actually pay or, you know, come back and put the money back in on that. But the money has been borrowed. And, you know, it's a different thing. You know, if you owe somebody else money, they can make your life really miserable. You kind of have to pay them. When you, when you owe yourself money, essentially, you can play games. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what's been going on right. here is the federal government essentially owes itself money. And so there's lots of potential for all sorts of gamesmanship 
that goes that could so, go on there. So for for as part of the game, in essence, somebody says somebody's giving me some money. I put it in my right hand pocket, and then I've taken it out of my right hand pocket and I put it in my left hand pocket and put an IOU in my right hand pocket, and then I took it out of my left hand pocket and I spent it. Right, and I got credit for spending that money from somebody because I spent money on you them. Bought or them a something. birthday present. I or bought a birthday right, present. Yeah. So they they said you're a great person. Uh, and, uh, but then I can say, but really I still, I haven't, I still had this money cause I've got an IOU, right. but I don't have any money to replace that IOU with. And exactly. th- that's, that's the problem. That's that we exactly have. right. That's exactly right. And so just so, and just so the listeners understand this as well, when they take that, pull that money out and they spend it, it makes the federal deficit look not as bad because they're using that to offset the federal deficit. That's right. If it wasn't the case, the federal deficit in any given year would actually be higher than it is, but they're using the Social Security trust fund money to make it look lower. Sure. And, and again, to, again, not to go into bookkeeping nerds, but an accounts receivable is considered an asset mm-hmm. and it offsets other things on paper, right? Right. But if all of a sudden somebody comes knocking on your door and today's the day they're to be repaid and you don't have the money that accounts receivable doesn't do you a whole lot of good. It's just an entry in a spreadsheet. Right. And we're about to, we're going to be getting to that date here pretty soon because mm-hmm. the, um, the Social security trustees say that we have the, the trust fund is uh, solvent until about 2034. So just about a decade out is what they're thinking. And it, they say that if they, if Congress doesn't do anything, doesn't show it up, nothing changes then Social Security will only be able to pay 80 cents on the dollar of what it's essentially guaranteed people it will pay. Now, that's actually a little better. It was going to be 75 cents on, 75 cents on the dollar for a number of years. Now they're saying about 80 cents on the dollar. But even if you believe the Social Security Trust Fund has got money in it, they're already beginning to draw on it, and that will be exhausted in 10 years. Yeah, these projections are going to, they vary based on uh, the economy, economic growth. Right. Um, How many people is, are working? Yeah, well, this is going to be a little bit morbid, but if a, whole, if, a, if a whole lot of your elderly population dies of COVID, that reduces the amount of money Social Security has to pay out. Yes, it does. So literally, these projections are going to change based on uh, demographics, the economy, and all that sort of thing. But they're not going to change dramatically on their own, and the system is not going to fix itself because of those kinds of changes. And remember, back a few years ago, Barack Obama, when he was president, reduced the contribution to Social Security from individuals as a way to kind of give them a boost. It is, it's currently about 6.2%, I believe. He lowered it down to 4.2%. So you, they went for a couple of years where those of us who are working and paying into our payroll taxes actually had to pay less. You got to keep a little more of your earnings. You got to earnings. keep a little more of it, and that didn't go into Social Security. But then, of course, that's not money going into right. the trust fund that can help pay for it. Now, you and I have done a lot of work over the years, you especially, but we've both done a lot of work over the years on this issue of fixing Social Security, Social Security reform. Uh, we we are very fond of some of the things that have been done and some of the things that have been proposed. Uh, you've done a lot of writing about these three counties in mm-hmm. South Texas that uh, were able to escape the Social Security system before Back in the, the early before 1980s the, before the door was slammed, right? And that they have done a dramatically better job of providing retirement savings for their employees than those folks ever would have gotten under Social Security. Right. They essentially take the money that you would be, you'd be paying into Social Security, it goes to a private financial company that then invests that in essentially uh, investment companies that uh, that will pay a guaranteed interest rate. 
I think they've never gotten less than something like three and a half percent interest. But if the market's doing better, if the market does a lot better than that, they will get more. But they don't get they don't go below a certain floor. Yeah. So they don't lose ten or twenty percent in a year that you might if you actually put the money in the market. It's it's always I think you and I have both found found it difficult to explain this to people who are really sort of like not at all familiar with markets. Um, literally this morning, Andrew Big, Andrew Biggs, who used to be one of the Social Security trustees, mm-hmm. and he now works for, for the American Enterprise Institute, just this morning he tweeted out that the typical Social Security recipient, and he, you know, he used some formula of averages and medians to come up with that, but that the typical recipient of Social Security gets a 1.3 times return on all the money that they paid in. So what that what that literally is saying is you're getting a thirty percent return on what you paid in, but but over fifty years, mm-hmm. right? So that is actually an abysmal rate of return. That's that's a you know below two percent annual rate of return. So it doesn't take a money manager with mystical powers to be able to beat that, right? You know, I mean. The stock market averages somewhere around seven percent per year. Oh, it's actually a little higher than that. Okay. Yeah, if, if you if you're looking at S and P five hundred, it runs between eight and over a period of time. Over time, right? It's about eight or nine percent. So there's some years it may go down twenty five percent, and others it may go up thirty five percent. Right. But over time, it runs about eight to nine percent, and the Nasdaq runs about ten yeah. percent. So even if you just took it and put it into a broad based. Uh, exchange-traded fund. Or just like an index that, fund, just a, a, a index pretty safe, conservative the, index fund. That follows the S&P 500, yeah. you would do better with it over time. Um, and that, again, that's going back to sort of the fundamental structural problem with Social Security, is that those those taxes that you are paying in do not get invested anywhere. Right. And so they, they're not exposed to market rates of return, so there's really no benefit. Over, there's no time benefit at all as far as how long you pay in for 50 years. But but that was 50 years that money could have been growing that it didn't grow. And, of course, the people who are older, you and I, will probably be fine. But younger people entering the system right now. Well, you'll, uh, you'll probably be fine because you're, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're really old. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, younger people coming into the system are going to find they may find out that they don't have uh, they're just not going to get the Social Security return, regardless of what yep. Joe Biden says. Now, it may be that Congress steps up and at some point and say, we're going to figure out some way to cover these. My guess is they're not going to let, if you get to 2034 and the Social Security trustees say, we've got to drop it down to 80% of the benefits. Um, my guess is Congress would try to figure out a way not to let that happen. Well, they're sure, they're, this Congress isn't going to do anything because, as, as we were describing, they literally all stood to their feet and applauded. Right. We ain't going to do anything about this. So, you know, maybe some future Congress will either be wiser than this one or maybe some future Congress will just be that very unlucky Congress that happens to be in place when the system is collapsing. And conceivably, if you had a really strong growing economy, you would postpone these things. You wouldn't eliminate the problem. But you might postpone it some. Uh, so it may be a while, but uh, my guess is they're going to have to face it probably sooner rather than later. So if nothing is done, if Congress doesn't step up and say, we need to make changes to the system to make sure that future recipients uh, get something in the neighborhood of what we have promised them, mm-hmm. if that doesn't happen, then what happens is automatic reductions in benefits. Right. And so all of a sudden, ironically, I think this this big rush to promise we're not going to cut anybody's Social Security benefits 
is actually the thing that most likely endangers current recipients. Because if you were to make prudent changes to the system right now, and you know you phase them in over the next 30 years, you could sort of leave current recipients unscathed. Mm-hmm. And you could give future recipients plenty of time to plan and to understand what their benefits are likely to be like. But if, if Congress does nothing, we're looking at less than a decade from now, benefits being automatically cut. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's exactly right. And so the notion that we're not cutting anything, if you don't do anything, good chance they're going to be cut in the near future anyway. Right, right. Uh, so, and, in, in, so in their rush to promise current elderly voters that we're not going to hurt your Social Security, that promise is the greatest threat to current recipients of Social Security. And to the future recipients. Mm. Back several years ago, this has been a couple of decades ago, but Frank Luntz did a famous poll asking young people which they, which they thought was more likely, um, that, they would get, that they would receive their Social Security benefits or that their aliens exist. And the, the large majority said, I think it's more likely that aliens exist. So, so maybe some of the recent government uh, acknowledgments that there are actually UFOs, maybe that's government's way of sort of paving the way for saying, and you're not going to get your Social Security money either. <laughs> <laughs> but now we've been, we've been talking about Social Security, but Medicare is in even worse shape mm. than Social Security because we're able to spend so much money on Medicare. And so there is a Medicare trust fund and people who work pay into their payroll taxes that goes to cover what's called part a and the part a is the hospital expenses. But so, but Medicare is the part B, which covers physician expenses that's covered out of current tax revenue. Part D is covered out of current tax revenue. Both B and D have premiums that they charge people for, Mm -hmm. but uh, the, the, Trust fund for hospital insurance to cover hospital is in even worse shape than uh, Social Security. So we don't know what they'll end up doing about that because the government plays around with that trust fund some. But it's not just Social Security. It's also Medicare that has an issue. And, of course, one one of the interesting things is even though Democrats come up and say, we do not want any kind of privatization going on in Social Security at all. There has been a long-term privatization going on in Medicare as about 40 to 45% of seniors opt out of Medicare, of traditional Medicare, and go to Medicare Advantage, which is essentially a private health insurance plan that the federal government provides the funds for, and then you go into that, and you're basically getting a private health insurance plan. So you're, not in, you're in Medicare, but you're not in the traditional Medicare. You're in the Medicare Advantage program. Mm. So, uh, but I have to say, Democrats don't like Medicare Advantage either. They want to try to get that private sector out of Medicare if they can. Yeah, they they don't want anybody profiting from the entitlement system if they possibly can. You know, you mentioned that Medicare is the one that's actually in the greatest fiscal danger. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, Medicare is also the one that is the most important of the two because people might have plenty of retirement savings and might be able to get by by without their Social Security benefits or with Mm -hmm. reduced Social Security benefits. But when you're when you are a recipient of Social Security, you're required to be in Medicare or Medicare Advantage, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're counting on that for your health care. That's right. how you get health care. And health care is more important than you know being able to go on vacations and cruises and things. So it, it's it, it, arguably it's the thing that seniors count on the most their health care. That is the one that is the program that's in the most immediate danger. And of course, whereas Social Security is raising the retirement age to 67, it'll be 67 before long. Medicare has stayed at 65. Um, 
Now, if Obamacare actually works very well, then you might say, okay, well, maybe you would raise Medicare to 67 or something like that to match Social Security and let people stay in Obamacare. But Obamacare has been something of a mess for an awful lot of people. Um, it, it has worked well, but it has in, in, in some instances, but primarily because the subsidies largely insulate people from the cost of it. And so taxpayers are funding that. Uh, and it never, uh, Obamacare never took off like they thought it would. The president was uh, boasting that there's something like 16 million people who are in, uh, who are in the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare now. Uh, they thought it would be uh, millions and millions of people, not just 16. They thought it'd be a huge number. Uh, and that tip, that number typically declines over the year as people transition to Medicare, get private health insurance through an employer, spouse gets private health insurance or whatever. So that number typically goes down, but um, it's the Medicare is also facing a problem. So Republicans aren't wrong to be raising the question, what are we going to do about this? But we're in a political situation right now where if you say we need to look at this, you get hammered by the other side to the point, as we saw in the State of the Union, that you just kind of want to back off because it's just too hot to handle. Yeah. Again, when watching the State of the Union address, you know, a few years ago, um, those of us in the public policy world thought that you know, they used to refer to Social Security as the third rail of American politics. Right. Touch it and you die. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, people started discussing changes to the Social Security system, and they didn't die. And so we thought, well, maybe Social Security is not the third rail of American politics anymore. We thought that for a while. Uh, but again, watching that State of the Union address the other night, now it seems like it's gone back to that. And and the tragedy of this, we, we should talk for a minute about the fact that the longer you wait to do something about it— The worse it is. The, the, and the harder—you lose the ability to make small changes— and rescue the system the longer you let it go. There, there was a time, you know, say during the George W. Bush administration, where we actually were sort of at the forefront of proposing switching, trans, transitioning Social Security to a system of personal retirement accounts. And I mean, the math worked. Over 75 years, the math worked. Um, you could fund all of the necessary um, benefits of the current system while transitioning people to a personal retirement account where their money would actually go into the stock market would grow over time, da 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 da. That worked, okay? But then you don't do something like that for 20 years, and now all of a sudden those kind of solutions are less possible. They might still they might still compose part of the solution, but it becomes harder and harder to salvage the system and reform the system the longer you let it go, the bigger the problem gets and the less time you have to work on it. So you're talking about Social Security, but in the late 90s, Senator Phil Graham from Texas, who is a Ph.D. economist, said the same thing about Medicare. And he had a proposal. He had been working with Dr. Tom Saving, another economist from Texas A&M, and we worked with it as well. Uh, and and Graham said exactly that. It was a time when revenues were, were strong and we actually had a sur- budget surplus. And he said, now's the time to do it. Let's transition Medicare to something, to more of a private plan. And uh, if we don't do it, but if we don't do it now, it's going to continue to get worse. So we need to do it at at that time, late 90s, where we have a budget surplus and we can make an easy transition. That didn't happen, and it has gotten worse. Yep. Uh, again, I want to mention that uh, you and Mark Lito wrote this book, On the Edge, America Faces the Entitlements Cliff. That mm-hmm. book is available from IPI. You can just you can just give us a call or send us an email. It's also available 
on Amazon.com. If you look up the title, On the Edge, America Faces the Entitlement's Cliff. And I think a PDF version of it is also available on our website for free. So in this book, you and Mark Litto propose lots of fixes for these systems. Not just Social Security and Medicare, but for welfare and and just basic health care and a range of different things. And of course, we're in the process of updating that book. Yes, because this book was written in 2019. Mm -hmm. And just as we talked about, with every year that goes by, it becomes harder to fix. So it has to to be updated. Uh, But, you know... I think the, the, we'll conclude on this note that this book and books like it propose taking a hard, sober look at these programs and at these problems and proposing solutions. It can be done. It just takes a legislature, takes a Congress willing to talk about it and willing to consider it. And sadly enough, it looks like this Congress at least has zero interest in even pretending to take these problems seriously. Well, on that depressing note, uh, we would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org, where you can find lots and lots of policy content over the years on entitlement reform, Medicare, Social Security. You can get a free PDF copy of the book that we've been talking about, On the Edge, America Faces the Entitlement's Cliff. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? At our website at IPI.org, you can sign up if you'd like to receive notices of all of our new podcasts, new content, and upcoming events. You can also help to sponsor these podcasts and the work of IPI by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.